0: So Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 11. "'If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, "'if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, "'if any bowels and mercies, "'fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, "'having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. "'Let nothing be done through strife or a vainglory, "'but in lowliness of mind, "'let each esteem other better than themselves.'" that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning we're going to begin looking into verse 2 as we continue our study through Philippians, specifically verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let's go the Lord in prayer together. Father, thank you again for your word. We thank you for that you have Given to us your wisdom and your Son and Christ who is revealed through your word. And so, Father, may we have hearts that are receptive of this truth of Jesus and him being revealed. And, and may we as a church glorify and honor you through our submission unto your word, unto its truth, as the Spirit of God dwells and lives in us and leads us and guides us into truth. And so, Father, we have a desire to know you. We have a desire to pursue our, and make a pursuit of our lives after truth. And we pray that we may do so diligently, intentionally, purposefully to your glory and to your honor. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Last week we began our study of Philippians chapter 2. And this portion of the letter, specifically the first four verses of this chapter, introduced to us a beautiful passage of Scripture as a way of introduction, these first four verses. And, it can, and and the, the part of Scripture in which this, this portion is introducing, of course, then continues in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 2. I told you last week, and I've said to you many times before, that this passage of Scripture, specifically Philippians 2, 5 through 11, is referred to as the Carmen Christi, which means hymn of Christ or hymn to Christ. And within this hymn, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul magnifies the the humility, the submission, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus which resulted in his exaltation by God the Father, as Paul stated in verses 6 through 9. Let's actually read verses 5 through 9 again. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Here Paul is setting up the statement. Notice that that passage ends, that verse ends with a colon, which means that the following passages are explaining the statement that was just made in English grammar, the colons are used for that purpose in which they are, they are placed there. to. It, it is a standalone statement, yes, but the following statements give explanation to that which has just been stated. So he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. And then that goes on to explain further, of course, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God's glory. So last week we began our study of this chapter by considering the basis of Paul's exhortation. In verse 1, Paul says, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now, the exhortation in verse 5 to which Paul is leading his audience, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, because this actually is the exhortation that Paul is giving in this chapter. This exhortation... In verse five is based on the grace which the reader had received because of the very demonstration of humility and submission by the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, here's what Paul is doing: verses one through four are leading us into verse five. Verse five then is explained in verses six through eleven, specifically verses six through eight. And so, what we find is that when Paul makes the statement, this exhortation to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He then explains that in the following verses, but prior to that, he has has set the groundwork to help us to explain how we are able even to let this mind. He doesn't say that this is something that we are actively doing in in the sense that this is something we are producing, but we are to be actively aware and actively pursuing that the mind of Christ, which has been given us in Jesus Christ, be continually demonstrated through our lives. So this is intentional and purposeful, but he's not telling us to attempt to do something without having a basis at, uh, on which this command or this exhortation is grounded or built upon. And verses 1 through 4 provide that for us. Verse 1 again, If there be any, con- therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. So we find that the basis of this grace is indicated by Paul's use of the conditional conjunction if. When he says if, this is not just simply a, a, some hypothetical statement as we would often use this preposition or conjunction, which it could be either. But rather, in this case, it is a, it is a, a conditional conjunction. So it's saying that, that this is what is necessary, again, for the following to be true. And if this is true, then this as well should be that which follows. And so when Paul says if... There be any consolation, if comfort, if fellowship, if bowels and mercies, this passion that is within, if any of this is true, then this should be the obvious natural result which is produced from this condition. And so we understand then that this is an exhortation to let this mind be in you. is based upon verses 1 through 4 specifically, and verse 1 in particularly, as we saw last week. Paul's exhortation was given on the basis that there is consolation in Christ. He's not saying, if, if, if you know, maybe you'll have consolation, maybe you won't. No, he's saying, based upon the consolation that you've received in Jesus Christ, let the mind of Christ therefore be in you. Because you've received consolation. And, and when we understand the word consolation, the noun consolation means encouragement and comfort. Then Paul's exhortation second was given on the basis that there is comfort of God's love, if any comfort of love. Again, you've received this comfort of love. So within the statement, Paul is calling the reader to live in and out the comfort of God's love as provided to Jesus Christ. Now, once again, these statements follow verses 29 and 30 of chapter 1. And again, remember, when the letter was written, Paul did not write in verses and chapters. He wrote in paragraphs. And so chapter divisions are not significant to the letter itself. And when we read chapter 1 and we conclude it, then we go, okay, now we're going into chapter 2. Yes, but chapter 2 is still connected to the previous truths. And Paul in chapter one twenty nine, as we dealt with for many weeks, deals with the fact that it has been given to us, to the Philippian believers specifically, to not only believe on the name of the Son of God, but also to suffer for his sake. And so Paul says it is given to you, it is granted unto you by God. It is appointed unto you. You are appointed to suffering. As you would follow in the steps of Christ. And so now Paul is saying, hey, by the way, yes, there's suffering that you're going to experience, but there is encouragement and comfort in Christ. But there is comfort of love that's in Jesus Christ. And third, he says that this exhortation was given on the basis that there is fellowship through God's Spirit. If any fellowship of the Spirit... So again, you're going to experience suffering, but God gives encouragement. You're going to experience suffering, but God comforts in his love, which is all in Christ. Third, you're going to experience suffering, but there is a fellowship by the Spirit of God, the very Spirit of Christ that dwells in you. So we have fellowship with God through his Son and his Spirit dwelling in us, but then we also have fellowship one with another. So even in suffering, again, we must remember for the cause of Christ or righteousness' sake that there... There is a comfort in this fellowship knowing that we are part uh, of the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ, as Paul and Peter both explained, and I delved into that to some degree through our study of verse 29 of chapter 1, if you recall. But yet he's saying that there is this suffering that will be present, and yet there is this comfort that God has given. There's this comfort that we've experienced in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's this fellowship that we have in Christ. Then fourth, Paul's exhortation was on the basis of a godly affection and compassion, if any, bowels and mercies. The noun bowels refers to affection or inward parts, and the noun mercies means compassion or pity. Paul is referring to his reader as the recipients of God's affection and compassion. The basis for the Philippian believers living life according to the mind of Christ was that they had been made to receive encouragement, they had been made to receive comfort, They have been made to receive fellowship and affection, compassion from God the Father through his provision of Jesus Christ. So Paul's exhortation, let this mind be in you, is one that is based upon the grace of God that had been received. It's so interesting. You'll find this to be consistent throughout the scriptures. It, 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 It amazes me to some degree that today it seems as though there are so many who emphasize The commands of Scripture, the imperatives of Scripture. This is what God demands. This is what God requires. And that is true in in some cases. Sometimes people imply or insert their own uh, their own preferences or opinions in trying to claim it's what God has said is true when it's not. But it is somewhat amazing to me how many people today focus on the commands of Scripture, never considering the provision God has made for that command to even be followed. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I am to consider myself, I'm to look at myself in a manner in which I am willing to sacrifice my very existence, my very life. I'm willing to. I'm supposed to be humble before God and before men. I'm supposed to serve others. Okay, that's something I need to do, so let's, let's work hard at doing this. No, based on the comfort, based on the encouragement based on the fellowship, based on God's provision for us in Jesus Christ, this is the basis of the grace we have received, the Spirit dwelling in us, by which we follow the command of Scripture. So based on these previously stated truths, as we've just discovered or or mentioned again, Paul proceeded his exhortation to the church at Philippi concerning their submission to the Lord to let the mind of Christ be in them by further encouraging them to be like-minded of one accord and of one mind, as we read in verse 2. So that's where we're going to settle in this morning. Throughout the following verses, Paul explains in a very practical manner how we are to be like-minded, submitting to the mind of Christ within us. Now again, notice, this goes right back to this, what we understood and discovered in the book of Ephesians through our previous studies. Chapters 1-3, through three, doctrinal in nature. Chapters 4-6, through six, practical in nature. Remember? And so... When we consider this truth, it is consistent in Paul's teaching. Paul is not giving some practical exhortation here, let this mind of Christ be in you, without having set the doctrinal truth that God has made this provision for us in Christ, therefore live out, intentionally live out what God has already made provision for you to live out in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. I hope this is making sense to you. You need to see this connection and not always just look at the exhortation or always look at only the command without recognizing God's provision for that command. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, verse 5, For without me ye can do nothing. So without Christ we can do nothing. So these are not commands given by God for us independently as some maverick Christian to go out and attempt to fulfill and live out these truths on our own. No, he's made the provision. And the provision is all sufficient because the provision is Jesus Christ. And so we need to be aware of this truth. So it's based on these truths. He says, let this mind be in you. Be like-minded of one accord of one mind. And, and throughout the following verses, we see again this practical manner that Paul explains how we are to be like-minded. Verses 2 through 4. Fulfill me my joy that you be like-minded. There it is. Having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Paul began this portion of his practical exhortation or explaining the practicality of this exhortation by appealing to the joy that their obedience and submission to the Lord and his truth brought him personally. Looking at verse 2, Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy. The word fulfill here is that of complete, if you will, or make full, obviously. And Paul's joy was not in, in physical success. Now understand, Paul's joy was ultimately in Jesus Christ. And this all is aligned with the very truth that Paul is stating here. When he says, fulfill ye my joy, his joy is in Christ, and therefore he joys when others are walking in Christ. Not only did, joy him, did Paul himself receive joy for following Jesus, but Paul also received joy when others followed Jesus. There was a, 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 an experience of joy that was present in that truth. So what we understand is that Paul's joy and the emphasis here being was not in physical success, in monetary prosperity, or social recognition, but was rooted in Jesus Christ and his truth. And this joy was magnified in Paul when those in whom Paul had invested the truth of Christ responded in submission to the Lord and his truth. This is what Paul meant when he said, Fulfill ye my joy. I want to make a connection here in just a moment, but let me, let me break for just a second because I want to make a connection for you in just a moment concerning Paul's exhortation to be like-minded, and I want to show you a consistent connection with what that's related to throughout Scripture. And so we're going to pay attention. I want you to pay closely, close attention to this, if you will. But prior to doing so, let me mention something. This is very practical, but let me mention this. A few weeks back, it fell upon me as your pastor to exhort you and rebuke the church, generally speaking, concerning some matters, if you recall, which is not a pleasure for any pastor to ever do. But I have since heard testimony of a response to that, evidently, not because I was told it by the church itself, saying these things, but rather that, There was someone who actually spoke to me, actually more than one person, but one in particular that spoke to me concerning this very matter of the care and the love of the church during this recent couple of weeks and how it was abundant. And I will speak to this behalf. That brought great joy to me as your pastor, especially having just dealt with this matter from the Scriptures because it was weighing so heavily upon me as a pastor, as an overseer, and then to hear that response in a genuine sense, not because arms are twisted by any means, and I will not do that. I will not manipulate you. You know that. But yet, to hear the response of God obviously working, among some at least, brought this joy to me. I rejoice in that genuinely. Not, oh, I'm just glad for this. No, it brought a joy to me because of the truth of Scripture. So the point is, when Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy. He's saying that this joy is magnified that's already present whenever he sees other, other believers following in the truth of submission to Christ and his word in following after the Lord. But I want to show you this connection. But before we do that, we discovered recently through our study of John's epistles on Wednesday evenings that John expressed the same abundance of joy regarding those who lived in the truth of Christ in, in which he had instructed them to do the same. In 2 John verse 4, he says. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Then in 3 John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And again, he's not talking about his physical offspring. He's talking about those in whom he had discipled, those in whom he had invested spiritual truth, those, no doubt, many who had come to the faith through the preaching of John and the testimony of John concerning Christ and the gospel. So it brings tremendous joy for those who are faithful to teach the truth of Christ to see others walking in that truth. And the reward is not temporal, but spiritual. However, the joy can be experienced both for those who labor to teach the truth and for those who walk therein. So if truth is being taught, instruction is being given from the Word of God, and the provision God has made has been explained on this is why and how this should be, and this is God's provision the basis for his command and then if i'm instructing you in such as as paul does here to the flipping believers and then and john also did then you see that the joy is present not only for those who submit to the truth and walk therein but also those who instruct in truth and therefore those who hear walk therein and so this is the joy that paul is speaking of but then he goes on to say "Fulfill you my joy he's saying there's a joy associated with this personally for me He said, that ye be like-minded. Now, Paul continued this exhortation by explaining how the church, again, could practically live in this truth. Paul declared that his joy would be complete when he saw that these believers were like-minded and living in the unity of the Spirit of God. The Greek verb, which is translated be like-minded, this phrase, is in the present tense, active voice, and subjunctive mood. And here's what that means. It means that the subject is performing the action at that moment and that it is an intentional act. So when he says that we are to be like-minded, this is not a passive statement which Paul is making. He is commanding, he is exhorting that they intentionally be like-minded. This is something they were responsible to do. Based on what? On the encouragement, the comfort, the fellowship and the the, uh, passion within given to them by the very Spirit of God indwelling them, this is the basis that they now are to be like-minded, having the mind of Christ be like-minded. So Paul is saying that since all the previous truths he mentioned in verse 1, as I just alluded to, are proven to be true in the lives of the reader, the Philippian church, the reader of the Philippian church is to be intentional in the act of continuing in the unity of the Spirit of God. Now this is... By, by no means is, is this a new concept in Paul's teaching. We find very similar language used in Paul's letter of Romans and Ephesians. In Romans twelve sixteen, Paul said, "...be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits." Ephesians 4, 1-3. "...I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the occasion wherewith ye are called." Here's that practical portion of this epistle. He goes on to say, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the body of peace. Remember that word endeavoring and, and the statement to keep the unity of the Spirit is dealing with maintaining the unity that's already been provided. Again, Paul is not saying in Ephesians, hey, you need, to, you need to try to get in unity together. You need to try to stir up some unity. You need to unify. No. Endeavoring to keep. What does that mean? It means Maintain. He's saying you are responsible to intentionally maintain the provision, meaning the unity provided by God's Spirit who dwells in you through redemption in Jesus Christ. You are responsible to intentionally endeavor to maintain that unity. So then how do you maintain that unity? Well, he stated, the previous, he stated that in the previous verse. Notice he says, "...with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love." Then he says, endeavoring to keep unity. This is the endeavoring. It's not some abstract statement he makes, but rather he's saying, by lowliness of mind, by long-suffering, by meekness, by forbearing one another in love, by understanding that we are human and forgiving one another in the love of Christ, he's saying that is how the unity of the Spirit is maintained. So it's worthy of our recognition that Paul's exhortation to the churches to be like-minded or of one mind... Notice this, please. Do not miss this. This is of the utmost importance, and you need to see this truth as we have just read two verses and Philippians, and now we're going to look at a few more in relation to this. We must be aware that the exhortation to be like-minded or of one mind, that this exhortation is focused on how every believer is to intentionally have the same perspective, but that is not where it ends. See, we would like for it to end there. We'd like to think, okay, so we just need to have the same perspective on doctrine. We just need to have the same perspective on the person and purpose of God. And of course these things are true. But that is not the emphasis here of being like-minded in any of these verses, neither is it the emphasis of the Carmen Christi. It's not simply, oh, be like-minded, everybody think the same way about everything. No, this is particular and specific. And so what is Paul commanding or exhorting the church to be like-minded concerning? What is this that we're supposed to have the same perspective concerning? Concerning what? Well, it's concerning how we are to view ourselves and how we are to view others. This is true both in every one of these verses, but also in Philippians chapter 2. The whole point of the Carmen Christi is the exaltation of Jesus Christ after he had Humbly, who was in the very form of God, who knew that he was the Son of God, who knew that he was equal with God because he is God, and yet humbled himself. Why? Because he debased himself in that sense, physically, looking not to his own benefit, selfishly, but to the purpose of God the Father being fulfilled and the redemption or through the redemption of fallen mankind. And so in every one of these instances about being like-minded or of one mind, he's not even, in these cases, he's not speaking of even doctrinal truths, though we should be. He's speaking of how we view ourselves and how we view others, specifically within the church. In Romans 15, 5-6, Paul said, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that, or so that, ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, wait a minute, it only says be like-minded one toward another. Yeah, one toward another, not even one with another, one toward another. How we view ourselves, how we view others, according to Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 explains that. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and so on and so forth. Humble himself. Simon Peter also spoke of like-mindedness with the same, within the same context as Paul. 1 Peter three eight and nine. Finally, brethren, or finally, be ye all of one mind. He said, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Now notice what Peter says. He says exactly what Paul said. Be like-minded, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, be merciful, and be courteous. Not retribution being given out, but rather blessing. So, once again, as we consider what is at the core of Paul's exhortation, as indicated in verse 5 of Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, in relation to verse 2 of chapter 2, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded having the same love being of one accord of one mind. We understand that this is much more than a call for believers to agree on matters of life, to agree on matters of religion, or to agree to agree even on matters of theology. This exhortation is a call for believers to intentionally live in the unity as provided by God's Spirit as he has made us one in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, it is this mind of Christ which will demonstrate itself according to the verses which follow the exhortation in verse 5. He goes on to say in verse 6 of Philippians 2, who, let this mind be in you, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, "...thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." So Paul's exhortation to be like-minded, leading us up to the foundation of the exhortation, to intentionally live in and under submission to the mind of Christ, is much more than living in agreement. This is not simply saying try to get along the best you can. No, this is a continual reminder that we are to have the mind of Christ, we are to let this mind flourish in us and be fleshed out in our lives. That we humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself. That we care for each other as Christ cared for us and does. That we have this same love. What same love could he possibly be speaking of? The love of Christ. That it is the love of Christ which is being demonstrated in and through us. And look, you are called, the Philippian believers, the Philippian church, and the 21st century church. And every church in between or any church that exists after this century. We are called by God. We are exhorted in Scripture To intentionally be like-minded. To intentionally have this same perspective concerning ourselves and others. That we each are consider ourselves and humble ourselves sacrificially, submissively to the Lord, living our lives to Him, to His glory, which is practically as a church body demonstrated as we humble ourselves in service one to another this is at the very core of what paul is speaking this is why the carmen christi exists and the exaltation of christ is given in this manner in which he is emphasizing the humility of christ but let this mind be in you the humility of christ the submissiveness of christ to the father's will and the intention intentional determination of christ to glorify the father how through submitting to the will of the Father by humbling himself, becoming obedient even unto death of the cross. So, this is not simply living in agreement, but it is to live in submission to Christ and worship to our Heavenly Father while serving one another as we humble ourselves and look to the needs of one another. And And that consistently is taught here concerning like-mindedness or having one mind. You cannot... You cannot disconnect the context. You cannot disconnect the statement from the context. It's easy, oh yeah, we agree. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about whether or not you agree with your pastor or with one another. He's talking about how you view yourself and how you view others as a believer in Jesus Christ. This is the context. Now, notice the wisdom, the genius, and beauty of such an exhortation as Paul has given And God's purpose, of which the exhortation is based, is that when we all view ourselves and each other according to this charge, and as Christ exemplified this in his earthly life, ministry, and death, then we all will minister to each other. In other words, if we all have this mind of Christ, as Paul mentions in Philippians 5, then we will not fail to serve one another, and there will be no lack of any part of the body being served. Having the same mind concerning oneself and others, as our Lord exemplified, will result in the following truths further explained by Paul in this verse. He says, having the same love, and this word love is agape, it's God's love, being of one accord. You know what one accord literally means here? It literally means the unity of the Spirit. Of one mind. Here it means to set one's mind on. So here you have this intentional action again by the reader. So when we are like-minded concerning how we view ourselves and one another through the eyes of Christ guided by His mind, we will then share in God's love and in His unity, and we will maintain His mindset concerning our submission and service to God and to one another. Let's conclude with reading 1 Corinthians 12, 14-25. Quite a lengthy passage, but listen to what Paul says. For the body is not one member but many... And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked... That, listen to the reason here, so that there should be no schism. The word schism is that of division, no contention, no division in the body. But that the members, listen to what Paul says, should have the same care one for another. So whether it's a less honorable part or a more abundant part of the body, whether it's a more beautiful part or a less beautiful part of the body, We all are to view ourselves through the eyes and mind of Christ, which means we humble ourselves in submission to the Lord and we recognize by His grace that we are only where we are and as we are because of Him, because of Christ. And therefore, we serve one another and we do so honoring each other, exalting God the Father and worship unto Him through submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit who dwells within and His Word as we are commanded to do so. So this is important. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, being like-minded, one accord, unity of the Spirit, one mind, setting our minds on this truth, the same love, the love of Christ in us, all in relation to serving one another because we view each other as God has viewed us in Jesus Christ. Remember this. In fact, in the book of Revelation, the scripture said that Jesus in his letter to the churches said that he hated the works of the Nicolaitans. Interestingly enough, the word Nicolaitans is a word from which we derive our term Nike. And Nike is victory. And the whole point is, God's saying he hated the hierarchy that existed in the church when there were those who lived as though they had victory or they were over others within the body of Christ. I say all that to say this. There is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. Why? Because we are to view ourselves selflessly and live selflessly humbling ourselves. If Christ who knew it was not robbery to be called God because he is God humbled himself unto death and the death of the cross the cruelest and most shameful of deaths. Then why would we not humble ourselves? Or why would we think we are too good to humble ourselves to serve as Christ has served? And this is the point that Paul is making here concerning being like-minded. So do we agree on doctrine? I hope, I hope so. Do we agree on the person of Christ? Well, surely. Do we agree on the fundamentals of the faith? Absolutely. But this is not what Paul's dealing with here. Though that all should be true. What he is talking about, that we all intentionally see ourselves in the same manner Christ exemplified, and that we humble ourselves, recognizing that we are to prefer one another above ourselves. What a charge. But very practical, is it not? But all this is based on the provision of grace that has been given to us in Christ and the example of Christ set before us. Christ is not only an example. He's our Redeemer. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. But He also did exemplify the very righteousness, love, mercy, and grace of God the Father. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So we recognize and acknowledge that and are to live submissively to that truth in humbling ourselves as Christ humbled Himself. Let this mind be new. You be like-minded. How are we like-minded? In that we view ourselves in this manner and then act accordingly. Because listen, if you truly view yourself in this manner, then that's how it will be demonstrated through your life. Christ did not just theoretically do this. He literally did this. He did not just say, well, I could do this. No, He did this. And we are to be like-minded. We are intentionally have this mindset as that of Christ because we have the mind of Christ through His Spirit that dwells in us and the revelation of His Word.